0: everyone welcome to band camp the Banned book podcast my name is dan
1: and i'm jennifer this is the podcast where we read banned books to try to figure out why in the heck they were banned in the first place all right dan so before we get into chapter three give us a brief summary of chapter two
0: scouts teacher miss caroline fisher is the source of All of the woes at school, according to Scout. She gave Walter Cunningham a quarter he could never repay. She hit Scout's hand with a ruler six times. I went back and I listened to that part. I want you to imagine this, Jennifer. Scout's up there with her hand up, and here comes Miss Fisher with a ruler. It said she slapped it six times. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) And Scout's like... What in the, What is going on here? <laughs> because of Miss Caroline Fisher's actions, I am just going to say that Scout has zero Fs left for school.
1: I kind of think so. Let's get into chapter three. <laughs> <laughs> Enough small talk.
0: Jennifer has zero Fs for my <laughs> summaries. <laughs>
1: chapter three. Catching Walter Cunningham in the schoolyard gave me some pleasure, but when I was rubbing his nose in the dirt, Jim came by and told me to stop. You're bigger than he is, he said. He's as old as you nearly, I said. He made me start off on the wrong foot. Let him go, Scout. Why? He didn't have any lunch money, I said, and explained my involvement in Walter's dietary affairs.
0: It is such a complicated relationship with kids. She stood up for him in class. But now it's like, you did make me get off on the wrong foot. Get over here. And she starts beating him up.
1: (laughs) Josh. Walter had picked himself up and was standing quietly listening to Jem and me. His fists were half cocked, as if expecting an onslaught from both of us. Oh, my God. I I know. (laughs) It could go any way right here. I stomped at him to chase him away, but Jem put out his hand and stopped me. He examined Walter with an air of speculation. Your daddy, Mr. Walter Cunningham from Old Sarum," he asked, and Walter nodded. Walter looked as if he had been raised on fish food. His eyes, as blue as Dill Harris's, were red-rimmed and watery. There was no color in his face except at the tip of his nose, which was mostly pink. He fingered the straps of his overalls, nervously picking at the metal hooks. Jem suddenly grinned at him. Grimmed? I mean grinned. (laughs) (laughs) By grimmed, I mean he grinned at him. Come on home to dinner with us, Walter, he said. We'd be glad to have you. Walter's face brightened, then darkened. Jem said, our daddy's a friend of your daddy's. Scout here, she's crazy. She won't fight you anymore. I wouldn't be too certain of that, I said. (laughs) Jem's free... (laughs) Jem's free dispensation of my pledge irked me, but precious noontime minutes were ticking away. Yeah, Walter, I won't jump on you again. Don't you like butter beans? Our Cal's a real good cook. Walter stood where he was, biting his lip. He's like, Do I trust him? I'm going
0: to get this sh- crap kicked <laughs> out of me.
1: Jem and I gave up, and we were nearly to the Radley place when Walter called, Hey, I'm coming. When Walter caught up with us, Jem made pleasant conversation with him. I haint lives there. What's well, that mean?
0: Say that again in <laughs> English.
1: Uh a uh, haint lives there. A like uh, you know, uh H A I N apostrophe t.
0: A Uh haint lives there.
1: A uh, haint lives there, he said cordially, pointing at the Radley house ever hear about him Walter I still don't know what a haint is I assume he's talking about Boo Radley
0: okay let me look it up in the robot because I'd want to know what a haint is because I could see (laughs) myself using a haint liberally in the future
1: alright let's see In this
2: context, hate is a dialectical version of hate, which means hasn't or doesn't have. So, when the character says, a hate lives there, he means nobody lives there. I hope that helps. Either I'm wrong about this definition, or Harper Lee is wrong. Always bet on the bot.
1: But then why does he ask ever hear about him?
0: What the heck is going on?
1: I hate no. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move on. We got it. They're talking about Boo. Okay. Reckon I have, said Walter. Almost died first year I came to school and et them pecans.
0: You mean the poisonous
1: pecans over at the Radley place? Walter says it here. He says, folks say he peasened em and put em over on the school side of the fence. Jem seemed to have little fear of Boo Radley now that Walter and I walked beside him. Indeed, Jem grew boastful. I went all the way up on the house once, he said to Walter. "'Anybody who went up to the house once oughta not to still run every time he passes it,' I said to the clouds above. "'And who's running, Miss Pris?' "'You are. When ain't anybody with you?' By the time we reached the front steps, Walter had forgotten he was a Cunningham. Jem ran into the kitchen and asked Calpurnia to set an extra plate. We had company.' Atticus greeted Walter and began a discussion about crops. Neither Jem nor I could follow. Reason I can't pass the third grade. Third grade? (laughs) He's in the third grade. He's a, a third grade size, but in the first grade. I made, I did, I combined them. He's in the third grade. Reason I can't pass the first grade, Mr. Finch, is I've had to stay put over spring and help Papa with the chopping. But there's another at the house now that's field size. Did you pay a bushel of potatoes for him, I asked? But Atticus shook his head at me. <laughs>
0: oh, no. He's like, shh, shh, be quiet, be quiet.
1: <laughs> While Walter piled food on his plate, he and Atticus talked together like two men to the wonderment of Jen and, Jem and me. Atticus was expounding upon farm problems when Walter interrupted to ask if there was any molasses in the house atticus summoned calpurnia who returned bearing the syrup pitcher she stood waiting for walter to help himself walter poured syrup on his vegetables and meat with a generous hand he would probably have poured it into his milk glass had i not asked what the sam hill he was doing the silver saucer clattered when he replaced the pitcher and he quickly put his hands in his lap then he ducked his head Atticus shook his head at me again. But he's gone and drowned his dinner in syrup, I protested. He's poured it all over. It was then that Calpurnia requested my presence in the kitchen. Uh Uh-oh. She was furious. And when she was furious, Calpurnia's grammar became er erratic. When in tranquility, her grammar was as good as anybody's in Maycomb. Atticus said Calpurnia had more education than most colored folk's. When she squinted down at me, the tiny lines around her eyes deepened. "'There's some folks who don't eat like us,' she whispered fiercely. "'But you ain't called on to contradict em at the table when they don't. "'That boy's yo company, and if he wants to eat up the tablecloth, you let him, you hear?' "'He ain't company, Cal. He's just a Cunningham. "'Hush your mouth! Don't matter who they are. "'Anybody sets foot in this house is yo company.' And don't you let me catch you remarking on their ways like you was so high and mighty. Yo folks might be better than the Cunninghams, but it don't count for nothing the way you're disgracing them. If you can't act fit to eat at the table, you can just sit here and eat in the kitchen. Right on, Calpurnia. That's right. You could be a little less harsh, though. What I've learned is, like, there's a big discrepancy between the older generation and, like, my kids... I've I had more of a Calpurnia style upbringing, but kids actually, when you explain empathy, like how would you feel? Then they think about it. It's just a fun little mental exercise right, you can do with totally. them. Totally. There is that 1% psychopath, but 99 out of 100 times, they're going to be like, oh, no, I don't want to make anyone sad. Yeah, you could do it that way, or you could bring out the bed slots. I what know. is the
0: famous saying, the old classic saying, spoil the child hit them with a rod what is that saying i forgot what the saying is
1: spoil them and hit them with a rod that's kind of like a scout they just confuse the hell out of them like (laughs) i don't know oh spare
0: the rod spoil the child
1: but but i listen to that and i think why not why don't you want to spoil your child yeah why not
0: not hit them with a rod and spoil them seems like a better (laughs) idea
1: Calpurnia sent me through the swinging door to the dining room with a strange, with a stinging smack of Oh my God, the bed slat. The slat came out. I retrieved my plate and finished dinner in the kitchen. Thankful, though, that I was spared the humiliation of facing them again. See, just learn how to apologize. This is why there's so many problems in the world. Like, Calpurnia should have just said, think of his feelings, go out there and apologize. It's okay to apologize and learn from mistakes. (laughs)
0: She's doing the stupid thing everyone does now is doubling down because they can't admit they made a mistake.
1: Yes, it's not good. It's no good.
0: Not too good.
1: I retrieved my plate and finished dinner in the kitchen, thankful, though, that I was spared the humiliation of facing them again. I told Calpurnia to just wait. I'd fix her. (laughs) One of these days when she wasn't looking... I'd go off and drown myself in Barker's eddy, and she'd be sorry? Oh, my God. <laughs> this is all very backwards thinking here. Besides, I added, she'd already gotten me in trouble once today. She had taught me to write and it was all her fault. Hush your fush, fush, fushion. Hush, hush. How? This is the, the most ridiculous three words put together. Hush. Your. Fussin. Hush your fushin. Oh God. <laughs> Jam and Walter returned to school ahead of me, staying behind to advise Atticus of Calpurnia's iniquities worth was worth a solitary sprint past the Radley place. She likes Jem better and she likes me anyway, I concluded, and suggested that Atticus lose no time in packing her off. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever considered that Jem doesn't worry her half as much?" Atticus's voice was flinty. "I've no intention of getting rid of her now or ever. We couldn't operate a single day without her. Have you ever thought of that? You think about how much Cal does for you and you mind her, you hear?" So Atticus, instead of bringing out his bed slat hands, Speaks speaks some sense to her.
0: That's right, because Atticus knows that it's better to hire one with bed-slat hands than to be (laughs) the one with the (laughs) bed-slat hands.
1: True. I returned to school and hated Calpurnia steadily until a sudden shriek shattered my resentments. I looked up to see Miss Caroline standing in the middle of the room, sheer horror flooding her face. Apparently, she had revived enough to persevere in her profession. It's alive, she screamed. The male population of the class rushed as one to her assistance. Lord, I thought, she's scared of a mouse. Little Chuck Little, whose patience with all living things was phenomenal, said. Which way did he go, Miss Caroline? Tell us where he went, quick. D.C., he turned to a boy behind him. D.C., shut the door, and we'll catch him. Quick, ma'am, where'd he go? Miss Caroline pointed a shaking finger not to the floor nor at a desk but to a hulking individual known to me unknown to me excuse me little chuck's face contracted and he said gently you mean him ma'am yes'm he's alive did he scare you some way miss caroline said desperately I was just walking by when it crawled out of his hair. It just crawled out of his hair. (laughs) (laughs) Little Chuck grinned broadly. There ain't no need to fear a cootie, ma'am. Ain't you ever seen one? Now, don't you be afraid. You just go back to your desk and teach us some more. (laughs) He's got cooties. He put his hand under her elbow and led Miss Caroline to the front of the room. Now, don't you fret, ma'am, he said. There ain't no need to fear a cootie. He'll just, I'll just (laughs) fetch you some cool water. The cootie's host showed not the faintest interest in the furor he had wrought. He searched the scalp above his forehead, located his guest, and pinched it between his thumb and finger. God. Like, how big is this thing?
0: Like a grub? Isn't a cootie hard to see?
1: What is a cootie?
0: Mockingbird 3000, what is a cootie?
2: Cootie is a slang term for lice, a type of small parasitic insect that lives on the skin and hair of mammals. The phrase never trust a cootie is a common children's expression that likely originated from the idea that lice can easily spread from one person to another through close contact, such as sharing hats or combs. In a broader sense, the phrase may also be interpreted as a caution against trusting anything that could cause harm or inconvenience.
0: All right, I just wanted to know what a cootie was. You brought this whole thing (laughs) and never trust a cootie.
1: Miss Caroline watched the process in horrid fascination. Little Chuck brought water in a paper cup and she drank it gratefully. Finally, she found her voice. What is your name, son? She asked softly. The boy blinked. Who, me? Miss Caroline nodded. Burris Ewell. Miss Caroline inspected her roll book. I have a yule here, but I don't have a first name. Would you spell your first name for me? Don't know how. They call me Burris. Well, Burris, said Miss Caroline. I think we'd better excuse you for the rest of the afternoon. I want you to go home and wash your hair. From her desk, she produced a thick volume, leafed through its pages, and read for a moment. A good home remedy for Burris, I want you to go home and wash your hair and with lye soap. When you've done that, treat your scalp with kerosene? Is that what they used to do? Gee!
0: <laughs> then start it on fire. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Burn up all the cooties. It's a controlled cootie fire, Jennifer. That's how they used to do it.
1: <laughs> what fur, missus? To get rid of the, er, cooties. You see, Burris, the other children might catch them, and you wouldn't want that, would you? The boy stood up. He was the filthiest human I had ever seen. His neck was dark gray, The backs of his hands were rusty, and his fingernails were black deep into the quick... Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) It's gross. He peered at Miss Caroline from a fist-sized clean space on his face. No one had noticed him, probably, because Miss Caroline and I had entertained the class most of the morning. And Burris, said Miss Caroline, please bathe yourself before you come back tomorrow. The boy laughed rudely. You ain't sending me home, Mrs... I was on the verge of leaving. I done done my time for this year.
0: (laughs) Who is this kid?
1: Is this still the first days just after lunch, right? Miss Caroline looked puzzled. What do you mean by that? The boy did not answer. He gave a short, contemptuous snort. One of the elderly members explained that he's one of the Yules. I wondered if this explanation would be as unsuccessful as my attempt, but Miss Caroline seemed willing to listen. Whole school's full of them. They come first day every year and then leave. The truant lady gets em here because she threatens em with the sheriff. But she give up trying to hold them. She reckons she's carried out the law just getting their names on the roll and runnin' em here the first day. You're supposed to mark em absent the rest of the year. What about their parents? Asked Miss Caroline in genuine concern. Ain't got no mother was the answer. And their paws right contentious. Burris was flattered by the recital. <laughs> Been comin' to the first day o' the first grade for three years in a row now. Oh, so it is, um, what did I say? Third grade? Or... <laughs> it first... is
0: third grade.
1: Reckon if I'm smart this year, they'll promote me to the second. Miss Caroline said, sit back down, please, Burris. And the moment she said it, I knew she made a serious mistake. The boy's condescension flashed to anger. You try and make me, missus. Little Chuck Little got to his feet. Let him go, ma'am, he said. He's a mean one, a hard-down mean one. He's liable to start something, and there's some little folks here. (laughs) He was among the most diminutive of men, but when Burris Yule turned toward him, Little Chuck's right hand went to his pocket. Watch your step, Burris, he said. (laughs) I'd soon kill you as look at you. Now go home. What, is this kid packing?
0: Little Chuck Little's got a big gun big.
1: Burris seemed to be afraid of a child half his height, and Miss Caroline took advantage of his indecision. Burris, go home. If you don't, I'll call the principal, she said. I'll have to report this anyway. The boy snorted and slouched leisurely to the door. Safely out of range, he turned and shouted, Report and be damned to ye! "'Ain't no snot no sled of a school teacher ever been born can make me do nothin'. "'You ain't makin' me go nowhere, missus, you just remember that. "'You ain't makin' me go nowhere!'
0: "'Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Burris <laughs> Ewell! "'Look at this guy!'
1: He waited until he was sure she was crying. Then he shuffled out of the building.
0: "'What a delight!'
1: Soon we were clustered around her desk, trying in our various ways to comfort her." He was a real mean one, below the belt. You ain't called on to teach folks like that. Them ain't Maycomb's ways, Miss Caroline, not really. Now, don't you fret, ma'am. Miss Caroline, why don't you read us a story? That cat thing was real fine this morning. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice. Oh, I like this.
0: <laughs> read that stupid cat story again. That'll make you feel better.
1: Miss Caroline smiled, blew her nose, said, Thank you, darlings, dispersed us, opened a book, and mystified the first grade with a long narrative about a toad frog that lived in a hall. When I passed the Radley Place for the fourth time that day, twice at a full gallop, my gloom had deepened to match the house. If the remainder of the school year were as fraught with drama as the first day, perhaps it would be mildly entertaining, but the prospect of spending nine months refraining from reading and writing made me think of running away. By late afternoon, most of my traveling plans were complete. When Jem and I raced each other up the sidewalk to meet Atticus humming home from work, I didn't give him much of a race. It was our habit to run meet Atticus the moment we saw him round the post office corner in the distance. Atticus seemed to have forgotten my new time fall from grace. He was full of questions about school. My replies were monosyllabic, and he did not press me. Perhaps Calpurnia sensed that my day had been a grim one. She let me watch her fix supper. Shut your eyes and open your mouth and I'll give you a surprise, she said. Oh, See, Calpurnia, can, she knows. Yeah. It was not often that she made crackling bread. She said she never had time, but with both of us at school today had been an easy one for her. She knew I loved crackling bread. I missed you today, she said. The house got so lonesome. Long about two o'clock, I had to turn on the radio. Why, Jem and me ain't ever in the house unless it's raining. I know, she said. But one of you's always in callin' distance. I wonder how much of the day I spend just callin' after you. Well, she said, getting up from the kitchen chair. It's enough time to make a pan of cracklin' bread, I reckon. You run along now and let me get supper on the table. Calpurnia bent down and kissed me. Oh. Sweet. So she is
0: truly like the mother figure.
1: Yeah, she's part of the fam. Yeah. I ran along, wondering what had come over her. She had wanted to make up with me. That was it. She had always been too hard on me. She had at least seen the error of her fractious ways. She was sorry and too stubborn to say so. I was weary from the day's crimes. After supper, Atticus sat down in the swing and crossed his legs. His fingers wandered to his watch pocket. He said that was the only way he could think. He waited in amiable silence, and I sought to reinforce my position. You never went to school, and you will do all right, so I'll just stay home, too. You can teach me like Granddaddy taught you and Uncle Jack. No, I can't, said Atticus. I have to make a living. Besides, they'd put me in jail if I kept you at home. Dose of magnesia for you tonight and school tomorrow. I'm feeling all right, really. Thought so. Now what's the matter? Bit by bit, I told him the day's misfortunes. And she said you taught me all wrong. So we can't ever read anymore. Ever. Please don't send me back. Please, sir. Atticus stood up and walked to the end of the porch. When he completed his examination of the wisteria vine, he strolled back to me. First of all, he said, if you can learn a simple trick, Scout, you'll get along a lot better with all kinds of folks you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view sir until you climb into his skin and walk around in it i thought it was uh walk a mile in someone else's shoes what's this creepy walking around i don't, I don't like the climb into skin and walk around in it
0: maybe we should actually look at atticus from now on like he's wild bill from Silence of the Lambs. Let's just use that as a frame and see how the story moves forward. Continue.
1: (laughs) Atticus said I had learned many things today and Miss Caroline had learned several things herself. That's wise. Mm -hmm. She had learned not to hand something to a Cunningham for one thing, but if Walter and I had put ourselves in her shoes, we'd have seen it was an honest mistake on her part. We could not expect her to learn all Maycomb's ways in one day and we could not hold her responsible when she knew no better. I'll be dogged, I said. I didn't know no better than not to reach to her, and she held me responsible. Listen, Atticus, I don't have to go to school. I was bursting with a sudden thought. Burus, you will remember. He just goes to school on the first day. The truant lady reckons she's carried out the law when she gets his name on the roll. You can't do that, Scout, Atticus said. Sometimes it's better to bend the law a little in special cases. In your case, the law remains rigid, so to school you must go. That's not fair. I don't see why I have to when he doesn't. Atticus said the Yules had been the disgrace of Maycomb for three generations. None of them had done an honest day's work in his recollection. He said that some Christmas, when he was getting rid of the tree he would take me with him and show me where and how they lived they were people but they lived like animals they can go to school any time they want to when they show the faintest symptom of wanting an education said atticus there are ways of keeping them in school by force but it's silly to force people like the yules into a new environment if i didn't go to school tomorrow you'd force me to let us leave it at this said atticus dryly you, Miss Scout Finch, are of the common folk. You must obey the law. He said that the Yules were members of an exclusive society made up of Yules. I guess that makes sense because what she doesn't want to be. He's basically saying don't be a Yule.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: <laughs> that could be a shirt. Don't be a Yule. <laughs> in, in certain circumstances, the common folk judiciously allowed them certain Privileges by the simple method of becoming blind to some of the ewells activities. They didn't have to go to school, for one thing. Another thing, Mr. Bob ewell Burris's father was permitted to hunt and trap out of season. Atticus, that's bad, I said. In Maycomb County, hunting out of season was a misdemeanor at law, a capital felony in the eyes of the populace. It's against the law, all right, said my father. And it's certainly bad, but when a man spends his relief checks on green whiskey, his children have a way of crying from hunger pains. I don't know of any landowner around here who begrudges these children any game their father can hit. Mr. Ewell shouldn't do that. Of course he shouldn't, but he'll never change his ways. Are you going to take out your disapproval on his children? Ah, so this points it out. This points out the double standard. It's like there are laws, and then there's a way to have a society where you take care of other people. Like it's, right. it's it's giving a little bit of grace so that the kids can eat. Yeah. No, sir, I murmured and made a final stand. But if I keep on going to school, we can't ever read anymore. That's really bothering you, isn't it? Yes, sir. When Atticus looked down at me, I saw the expression on his face that always made me expect something. Do you know what a compromise is? He asked. Bending the law? No. An agreement reached by mutual concessions. It works this way, he said. If you'll concede the necessity of going to school, we'll go reading on every night just as we always have. Is that a bargain? Yes, sir. So she's learning both through her father and her brother that there's ways to act when you're in this place and then there's ways to act when you're in this place. Like with her brother. You don't know me at school, but at home we'll carry on. And Atticus is basically saying the same thing. Yeah. Yep. So she's learning. She's learning stuff.
0: And this is how she learned to read. And this is how she learns everything she's learned so far. Yeah.
1: Well, consider it sealed without the usual formality, Atticus said when he saw me preparing to spit. (laughs) (laughs) As I opened the front screen door, Atticus said, by the way, Scout. You'd better not say anything at school about our agreement. Why not? I'm afraid our activities would be received with considerable disapprobation. Disapprobation? I don't know that word.
2: Disapprobation. Yeah, I know. Disapprobation means strong disapproval or condemnation. It is the expression of moral or aesthetic judgment against something or someone.
1: Why not just say disapproval?
2: Because I get paid by the word. Robot out.
1: Jem and I were accustomed to our father's last will and testament diction, and we were at all times free to interrupt Atticus for a translation when it was beyond our understanding. Huh, sir? I never went to school, he said, but I have a feeling that if you tell Miss Caroline we read every night, she'll get after me, and I wouldn't want her after me. Atticus kept us in fits that evening, gravely reading columns of print about a man who sat on a flagpole for no discernible reason which was reason enough for Jem to spend the following Saturday aloft in the treehouse. Jem sat from after breakfast until sunset, and would have re- remained overnight had not Atticus severed his supply lines. I had spent most of the day climbing up and down, running errands for him, providing him with literature, nourishment, and water, and was carrying him blankets for the night when Atticus said if I paid no attention to him, Jem would come down. Atticus was right. End of chapter three.
2: It's time for PPP. <laughs> Problematic points to ponder. What, if anything, would be considered banworthy in this chapter?
1: I really can't think of anything in this chapter that would make people want to ban it. I didn't see any language that was uh, objectionable. I didn't see anything that might offend anyone, really.
0: We found a few reasons in the first two chapters about why maybe some people would consider something marginally ban-worthy. I got to be honest, like so far in this book, there is nothing that would make it ban-worthy, right?
1: I'm going to have to agree with you. However, we have more, we have more than 300 pages to go. So we'll find out.
0: Well, we will find out, and uh, that is it for this episode. Listen, if you are a progressive who wants to join the fight against book banning in your local community, get your copy of the Book Ban Battle Plan, which is our grassroots guide. The link is in the show notes.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: We'll see you for Chapter 4.
1: Hush your fushin'. Hush, hush, Hush your fussin'. Hush your fussin'.